We are in our second week, as I mentioned earlier, a second week of our journey towards Easter Sunday, in this journey that we call within the church, Lent. The season of preparation, of, of preparing for God to do something in us. And I hope that uh, you, like me, have continued your discipline, or at least most of it, right? That you've been able to continue that Lenten fast or taking on that we've been talking about. I know I was tempted uh, this morning to, to not do the devotional that I had because I wanted to get right into the, uh, the church and get everything ready and prepared, and, and I found myself going back to reading last yesterday morning's scripture again because I just wanted to read that gospel one more time before this morning with you. And then, sure enough, one of the things that uh, happened this morning was all of a sudden Stella was awake, and she was going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy it's a rainbow. And she goes outside and jumping up and down and she sees rainbow, which I know we see a lot in Hawaii, but she's so excited every time. And then sure enough, on my drive into the church building this morning, I see a rainbow. And I'm reminded of our conversation that we had last week. Reminded of, of the story that we're on and how we began the story by talking about the flood but more importantly, not the judgment of the flood, but about God's covenantal promise to us, to continue to love us and to not ever, ever again do what the flood did, destroy all that is. So God is in the business of love, and when we see the rainbow, we're reminded of that covenant that God has with us. This morning, we're going to be talking about how do we live into that reality, the covenant of God's love. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the name of God and our name as Christians. There's a lot of power in a name, isn't there? I mean, it, I know that when it seems trite, but, you know, when we were doing our uh, dog training, which if you know our dog Emma, you might wonder if we ever had training for her, but we did at one point in our journey when we were a young couple, Ashley and I, we were training our dog. And the first step to training our Labrador Retriever was to get her to acknowledge her name. And so they would say that once you say her name and her ears perk, you give her a treat. Because the idea is that you want her to know when you, as your, the master, says the name. Because then you can get to the other step, which is down the road, that she might listen to what you have to say to her, which is definitely the hard part. At this point, we just say treat or, you know, dinner, and she comes running our way. But, you know, early on, she would say, Emma, and her ears would perk up, and you'd give her a treat. And you would say, Emma, and her ears would perk up, and you wouldn't give her a treat this time, but then she would look for the treat, and she would look back at you, and then you'd give her a treat. And the idea is the more that you say her name, and the more that she hears her name being spoken, the more that you give her the treat, and she does what you say. That's sometimes the challenge of names as well, right? I've been reading over the Lenten journey uh, Robert Atler's book. It's, an, uh, it's a book that he wrote, rewrote the Old Testament. And uh, one of the prepositions that he makes in his book is that, you know, in English, we have done a pretty poor job rendering the Old Testament in its poetic form. In fact, he says that it's only the King James Version, uh, the translation of the Bible, that really tries to capture the beauty of the Old Testament, while at the same time retains some poetic nature and some of the, the rhythmic 
literary functions that are going on within the Old Testament. Because as someone who studied Hebrew, it is full of very detailed and thoughtful ways of describing the narratives and the story in ways that are meant to be heard and meant to be read and ways that help us, like kind of like the Dr. Seuss book, right? Create rhythm that bring us into the text. The problem is that King James Version of the Bible uh, leaves out significant portions of like the Dead Sea Scrolls and modern history. And so it's not a very good translation if you're truly trying to get uh, down to what the word said in its original context. And we've been doing a lot of work on that since the King James Version came out. And so Robert Atler decided to to get a translation out that kind of takes all this in, but most importantly focuses on the literary structures. And they got someone, an award-winning audio book recorder, I forget the name of it, to record the Old Testament. And it's just a beautiful narration of the Old Testament. And I invite you, and we'll send out stuff for you on it later about the resource. But I've been listening to it, and it's just so good. But one of the things that Robert Outler does is as he prepares the readers for the text itself, he talks about what he's doing and why he's doing it. And one of the ones that he spends the significant time on why he translated was how to translate the name of God. If you haven't studied Hebrew, you might not know the nuances to the Old Testament in its original original manuscript form and saying the name of God. In fact, the name of God is never given within the Old Testament. The closest thing that we have to it is when God says to Moses, when Moses up on Mount Sinai says, how will I be able to describe who you are to the people? He asks for God's name. And God gives them this ambiguous term, I am who I am to Moses. And so, I am who I am is the only name that we can give to God, but how do you put the name of God down on paper when you don't have a name? And so, if you open up your Bible that you might have at home, you might see the word LORD written in all capital. What is happening there is this unique amalgamation of different things because the ancient Hebrew people believed that you could not say God's name because there was no true name for God, and they didn't want anyone to mistake the name of God with the name that might be written in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible. And so they took two different words. They took uh, Jehovah, guide me, O great Jehovah, and Adonai, and they kind of put them together into a word that is ultimately unpronounceable. So if you know Hebrew and you're able to read it, which I know all of you can, right? As you're reading throughout the Old Testament, you'll come to a word that you'll try to pronounce that you just can't say. And that ultimately is the name of God. So you're reading along and you stop because you can't read it. Modern day scholars, or perhaps you've heard of the term Yahweh, which is the closest way to translate the words that are on the paper of God. And so Robert Atler is talking about how does he go about translating the word so that we might take it as it was intended. He ultimately chooses the word Lord because he had to choose something and talks about how he could go either way. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor Brian, why are you talking at length about the word of God and why it came to be 
before us within the Bible. See, because the thing is, is that when Moses asks God for the name of God, God knew what that would allow him to do. Gives him the power of the God, which name they would use. Ancient kind of philosophy, theology, you would, you know, use the name of the God in order to accomplish what you would want, whether it was through a seance or a sacrifice. And God did not want to be controlled in that way. God did not want to be used in that way. And so it's unsurprising that when Moses comes down without a name for God, there before him was the golden calf. Baal, or another name. To know one's name, especially the name of God, would allow one to wield one's power. And so it's kind of interesting now within the story of Abram and Sarai that God doesn't allow them to keep their name, but God gives them a new one. Almost so as to say, all that you had kind of gained in the life before walking with me would now be rendered aside, and you would now start a new journey with me, with new names. And I will make a covenant, not that I will give you my power and you take it into the world, but I will give you a covenant that my love and my presence will be with you and your generations throughout history. And so the only name of God was God of your ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob. God was known in that way. I've been uh, thinking throughout this month and reading uh, various black intellectuals and black artists because we're coming to the end of uh, Black Awareness Month, the, the Black History Month at the end of February. And I've been going through some of my notes from Divinity School and reading some of the black intellectuals that we had, and um, I took a class, in fact, on that. And one of them was D.W. Du Bois. And within his narrations, he does some interesting work with the story of Abraham and Sarah. See, because the African-American community knew all too well the power of a name. Because when they would go onto the slave ships, they would lose any name that came with them before, only to go to the sales, to the markets, to be sold and given a name from their owner, a new name, a name that would hold the power. And as he narrates and he tries to find a positive way forward post slavery, he comes to the story of Abraham and Sarah. That the power of their name is not because it was imposed upon them, but that God was inviting them to journey with them. Fast forward, some pretty prominent theologians Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer pick up on the theories of Du Bois 
And they saw all too well within Nazi Germany the danger of wielding out God's name. Because so much of what was happening during the rise of the Third Reich was being done in the name of God. But that name was leading to destruction. That name was not the name of the rainbow. That name led to death and destruction. And they said to themselves, there must be something wrong with the use of the name that we're giving to God because that God would never do those things. And they too went back to the story of Abram and to Sarai, who were later given the name Abraham and Sarah. Because it's when those two were chosen that we inherit our true identity. Sojourners with God. Those of us who walk with God. We don't yield the power that we've accumulated in life before, and we don't yield the power of God, but we journey with God. And what's even more dramatic about the story of Abram and Sarai is what did they do to inherit their new name? They made no choices. They didn't accumulate the right sorts of things. They didn't go through a certain process. They were merely chosen by God to be God's chosen people. The story of Abram begins just as that. God calls out to Abram. Having done nothing to inherit the beauty of the covenant of God's love throughout generation to generation, God chooses them and asks them to journey with them. And they had to step out in faith, be willing to risk. See, Jesus does this very same thing. We have done nothing to inherit God's love. But God chooses us in Christ and invites us to journey. That just like Abram and Sarah were chosen by God, you and I are grafted into that very same tree by being chosen by Christ. And so, friends, here's the power. The power is that you have no power. In the gospel reading from this morning, Jesus says, those who want to gain their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life will gain it. As he hints towards what was to happen to him, that he would ultimately go and die upon the cross. Those who want to gain their life, to have the power, will lose it but those who are willing to let it go will gain it. Friends, if you think that your Lenten journey will make you more holy with God, that you will somehow get in the in club, that you'll make your way into heaven, you are doing it for the wrong reasons. Our Lenten journey is a journey of learning to let go to rely, to trust on God. 
Because when we learn to let go, we stop holding our expectations up upon ourselves, but most importantly, up upon our brothers and sisters. We don't know the name of God, and we don't know what it looks like to follow God like this, A, B, C, and D, so that we can tell people they must do the same. The only thing we know is that we've been chosen, that you've been chosen. The only thing we know is that we've been given a name in Christ. And in that name, we see ourselves not by what we've accomplished, not by what we've achieved, but through the grace of God who takes us fragmented people and makes us whole somehow. Not as we're able to get better as Christians, but as we're able to acknowledge our frailty. Jesus isn't marked by self-righteousness, but by service and humility. We don't own the name of God. We receive our name, beloved, from God and are invited to journey day by day in a process that's painful called self-emptying. To let go and to trust So how's your Lenten journey helping you with that? Is it the badge that you're wearing? Show your friends how good you're doing? Want your pat on the back from Jesus? Or is it helping you realize that we are all in need of God's grace? And that we've all been chosen by God. We can stop putting people in the boxes. Stop putting God in the box. Instead, learn to be loved and learn to love without these expectations we put on people. What they need to do. So throughout Lent, throughout this week. How might you in one way empty yourself a bit? Reflect during your Lenten fast or discipline on how good you're doing, but on your need for God. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we pray that you might teach us during this season through our disciplines that we are not better than others. But we are called love called to be 
loved by you. Help us see others through that lens. Let go of those expectations we place to see our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, those that are different than us as beloved and chosen children of yours. And help us follow those difficult words that Jesus gives. Those that want to gain their life will lose it, and those that lose their life will gain it. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Those that want to gain their life will lose it. Those that want to lose their life will gain it. Words that Jesus spoke as he told his disciples and those around him of the journey that he was headed upon, the journey that would ultimately lead to the cross. I'm sure I would have found myself like Peter, who came to him and said, no, Jesus, don't do that. You're not supposed to die. You're supposed to reign. But what Peter didn't understand was the sort of kingdom that God calls us to. A kingdom of the cross, of letting go, of releasing the power, the strength, the might that we carry over others, and acknowledging our need for God. We have the gift now of a song by our barbershop quartet, The Old Rugged Cross. Give thanks that we were able to pre-record this last week so that we all might participate in this worshipful song together and be reminded of the life and the journey that God calls us to.